0: Life Church created this podcast because we all need healthy conversations with real people. So this podcast is here to help you start real conversations with your life group, friends, and family. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to the You've Heard It Said podcast. This is
2: Allie. And this is Jason.
1: And today, I thought we could start by answering a few lighthearted questions. So first of all, if you had a million dollars, how would you spend it?
2: Is this one of those questions where you're gonna like trap me based on how I answer?
1: No. What are you? What are you even talking about?
2: You know, like I'm supposed to say a certain thing, and if I don't, then I look really selfish or something.
1: No, this is just supposed to be a fun question.
2: Okay. So if I had a million dollars, first I would, um, I would definitely fix some broken windows in my house. I've got okay. a couple kids huh? and several broken windows, <laughs> so I would do that. Nice. Um, oh no, no. I would no. First, I would tithe, and oh, I would. Uh, and now right. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot of money. But yeah, I, would, fair. I would tithe. Yeah, nice.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, uh huh. Okay, so our cars have like a combined 500,000 miles, literally on them. So I think though we would just like maintain, like do a little maintenance, not replace uh, them.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, some trips, definitely some travel. Nice. Yeah. Um. Uh, You know, maybe a little, I think it's some investments. So I'd probably invest in like a college fund for my kids.
1: Yeah, smart.
2: And then set up kind of like a budget or an account to where we could pay for stuff that like people hate paying for. And like Mm. just anonymously surprise them with it. You know, like pay for somebody's school debt or Mm. bail them out of prison. No, like you wouldn't (laughs) want to pay for that, you know. So stuff that's like not that. the
1: first example that came to mind, but I guess fair.
2: <laughs> so I think that's what I would do.
1: Okay. Well, if I had a million dollars, I would I would also tithe, obviously. Um, I would also put some in a savings account for my kids. Um, I would take some fun money, and I would probably buy some super random things like— label makers and storage bins. Do you know how organized you could be with a million dollars? And I would also give to a bunch of people, too. It wouldn't just be storage bins. I would also give a lot of money (laughs) to people. But, like, just think about how many storage bins I could buy. My house would look like home at it.
2: (laughs) Allie, there's, like, a universe of things that you could purchase. (laughs) Places you could—I mean, you could go to Italy, and you're going (laughs) to— Buy stuff so you can organize stuff? I mean, I did kind of forget that travel was, like, a thing that you can do. Yeah. But I
1: stand by it. Like, I just—there's something about seeing things all nicely in bins and color-coded. It just brings me joy. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Uh What would you do with a million hours?
2: Okay, so a million. Oh, my goodness. That, I think, if my math— I think a million hours is probably more than a lifetime. It's definitely more than the rest of my lifetime. (laughs) So if I had more than the rest of my lifetime, then I hope that I would be more just like settled, you know? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I hope that I would be less addicted to like leveling up and Mm -hmm. that I could get off, you know, the treadmill and just be at rest and and be with the people I'm with and be connected to uh, my family and my kids and not so focused on what's next or, you know, this Mm -hmm. kid needs to get into this school or, you know, all those things that Mm -hmm. you're always trying to look at what's next. I I would hope I would slow down if I had that much time.
1: That's wise. I think I would learn some new languages. I would try to play like an instrument or something. Um, and learn how to sculpt or paint or do something artsy. Mm. And also maybe I would finally learn how to cook without setting off the fire alarm <laughs> at my house. <laughs> I,
2: I like the idea of like art, artsy stuff. Yeah. I think I would want to write more. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay. So why, why these questions?
1: Right. Well, because how we spend our money and our time says a lot about us, right?
2: For sure. Like there's people who would spend <laughs> a million dollars on labels.
1: There are, and they're great people. But anyways, (laughs) money and time are tools, right? Like God gave them to us so we can honor him and love others. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I were to ask you different questions, you might have had a different response.
2: What do you mean by different questions?
1: Like, how do you budget your
2: money? Definitely with storage bins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What priorities does your calendar reflect right now?
2: Okay, I think I know what you're doing. I would feel attacked. If you Mm -hmm. ask me questions like that, I would start feeling pretty, maybe bad about it. So uh, tell me if this is what you're getting at. Mm -hmm. What we do with our time and with our money, it makes up like most of our life. Yeah. And for some reason, talking about those two things feels like Mm triggery or uh, confusing even.
1: And not to mention, sometimes it even seems like the Bible has conflicting things to say about it, Mm -hmm. or at least like some big tensions to manage. Like I feel this tension of knowing that I'm supposed to be wise, but also irrationally generous. Mm -hmm. I also feel a tension of knowing that Jesus said it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. But also there's really great examples in the Bible of people who use wealth to advance the kingdom of God.
2: I definitely feel that too. And I wonder if maybe the Bible doesn't have like one size fits all answers because everyone's situation looks different Mm, and God has a different calling for each one of us. And I just want to say right now to anyone who might be listening that some of these topics that we're talking about, they could trigger shame, you know, Mm. and we just don't want to do that. We're not interested Mm. in that. Mm -hmm. You might feel like a healthy sense of conviction, something that causes you to make a change in your life. And that's great. But shame, it's mm. not going to do anything good for you.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because it is a really difficult time for people right now, especially financially. Yeah. I mean, the price of everything has gone up. And so if you feel like you're just trying to get by or pay off debt or just do any number of things in your life, it may feel really impossible to overcome. Like buying milk. Right. It's so expensive right now. (laughs) And sometimes like even if you have enough, generosity feels like a weird thing to talk about because you might feel guilty for having the things you do. Hmm. And so... We're talking about all of this because it really matters to God and money and time are just tools that can grow our faith.
2: So here's some encouragement as we start this conversation. Embrace the nuance, but also listen for specific things that Jesus is talking to you about. Mm, It's tempting to like try and simplify Jesus into a repeatable phrase or to somehow Mm -hmm. use scripture to fit specific advice But Jesus is a person, he's not a phrase, Mm -hmm. and scripture is so much more than advice. Mm -hmm. So for today, we're going to focus on this big question. How do I manage my time and money when it seems like there's different ideas about it, Mm -hmm. even from the Bible?
1: That is a big question. So we're going to unpack it by taking a closer look at some of those tensions we brought up with a little help from some wise people along the way. First of all, let's talk about the tension between work and rest. We know both are important, but we tend to prioritize work in our hustle, get it done culture. Yet we see Jesus value both. So how do we strike the balance of working well and resting well? We actually spent some time navigating that tension at Life Church in a series called A Better Way. And we got to sit down with Pastor Craig to talk about it in an episode called Work, Rest, and What Matters Most. Here's one thing he said that was particularly powerful, but you should go back and listen to the whole thing if you missed all of it.
0: We have to fight daily against the trajectory of culture, luring us into living for this world instead of living for the things of the kingdom of God. And it's it's a real battle, but the truth is that we really do have time for what God wants us to do. He's never going to be really cruel and go, Ali, I'm going to give you too much and not enough time. He's not going to do that. But what happens is we end up getting distracted by things that really don't matter that much. And so I try to tell myself that again and again, that I don't need more time. I need more of what matters and I can choose. It's the Luke 10 text of Mary and Martha. And most people listening are probably Martha who was in the kitchen working her tail off and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus you know, Martha's upset saying, get her to help me. And Jesus said, Only only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that, that word is so important. She has chosen what is better. And the truth is, most of us in most cases, we do have a choice. So what I am learning, what I've known, what I'm trying to live, is that rest is a very important part of work. Yeah. It's rhythm. God works six days and he rested. He's God. He rested. So for me to work most effectively, I need to do it from a place of rest. And so often my mindset has been, no, work, 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 work. Out there somewhere is coming the rest. And then by the time I'd get there, it would be like, this has to be great. And then there'd always be some kind of letdown. It would rain two of the days, or we'd miss our flight to wherever and couldn't get there and miss a day and never quite hit the target. The reason is because that was the answer at the end rather than the Priority at the beginning. And so now, instead of working for rest in the future, I'm trying to work from a place of rest. And it sounds like kind of I'm playing like a word game, but it's really not. It's a mindset of, you know, when I come in and start the day, I'm doing it after a good night's rest. And I'm not going to rest when the project's done, but I'm going to rest before so that I can create the project in a way that is most God honoring.
1: Like Pastor Craig wisely pointed out, both work and rest matter. So what about interruptions? We see Jesus withdrawing to the wilderness to pray, but also welcoming interruptions as opportunities. There's this time he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter in Mark 5, and a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years seeks healing by touching the hem of his robe. One touch from Jesus heals her, but he stops what he's doing, like on his way to go heal the daughter, acknowledges the woman, listens to her story, then goes and heals the man's daughter. This happened to Jesus all the time. He'd be walking along on. On his way to do something important, and people would interrupt him, and he would stop what he was doing to heal them. But when we think about our own lives, most of us view interruptions as annoyances. We're even backed up on this by most productivity experts who advocate for limited interruptions. Most of us know the value of having focused times so that you can maximize your efforts on the work God has called you to which again feels like a great point from the parable of the talents. So how do we navigate this tension of setting boundaries on our time so that we can accomplish the mission God has called us to while also making space for the moments Jesus is inviting us into along the way? We asked her friend Michelle for some input. She was on our second ever episode of the podcast called Can a Conversation Change Your Life? And she's incredibly wise about using her time in a way that honors God and shows love to others. Let's hear what she has to
3: say about all of this. My calendar is so busy, as I'm sure so many people's are. I've just decided I need to budget my time like I budget my money. I've always thought there's 168 hours in the week. Where are my 168 hours going I know 56 of those because I've done the math (laughs) at eight hours a night are spent sleeping. So it leaves me with 112 hours. It really did touch me deeply when I thought about how much time I'm not spending in the places that I say that I care or that I wanted to spend my time. Mm. And so when I really looked at it, I was like, how can I make my first priority to love? Mm. And love can look a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. But like, I love the work that I do. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Do I want all 112 hours spent on my work? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> yeah. think that's what God would have. There's order in our lives we have to maintain. Mm-hmm. So like cooking and cleaning and laundry and whatever that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. And that has to be done. So how is that gonna be played into everything? And then there needs to be time for God. And obviously that comes first, but... Am I really putting it first based on my calendar and based Mm -hmm. on my priorities, like I say that I care? So from that, I just decided to make some changes and prioritize my calendar around love. And I want to explain what that means, Mm -hmm. because when I put it that way, it really helps me think more clearly about what I value. So I value time with my family. Mm -hmm. I value time with God. I value being healthy and taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I value learning I value obviously work, but like, how do I put that on my calendar? So I was very intentional to put it on there. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit hard and kind of spicy to get it all (laughs) to fit. But like, when I look at it now, I can honestly say God has an hour every day on my calendar. Mm -hmm. And if I spend a whole hour with God, I don't know, but he has it on the calendar, Like there is time for that. Meetings with other people like my life group and stuff, that's at least 5% of my week Mm -hmm. now, if not more. Family has probably 25% of my calendar. Mm -hmm. And I just make a point to put it on the calendar. Obviously, things that come up or changes, sure. Mm -hmm. But the things, the big rocks we care about are always first. What was the catalyst
1: for you figuring out what percentage of your calendar you were spending on certain things? I
3: just felt out of control. Hmm. Yeah. I was stressed out. I was anxious. And at the end of the day, to be honest, I spent so much time scrolling on social media, looking at other people's lives and not living mine. Hmm. I just decided there needed to be time for a change. And I really wanted to start prioritizing my calendar based on love. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you started replacing social media and TV and things with? Right. So... It's amazing what you can do when you don't <laughs> scroll on social media for an hour, two or three. There's several little examples here. With me and my family, I have two little boys. Me and my husband, we would get up in the morning and instead of being in a rush, there's time to make breakfast and sit down and talk with them about what's going on at school. And at the end of the day, instead of being on social media or checking the news or whatever that I used to spend a lot of time doing, my kids, they'll sit with me now in our room and they'll do their devotions with me while I'm mm-hmm. like reading my Bible or writing prayer cards to other people. And that's mm-hmm. just what they did on their own. I yeah. didn't even really have to talk them into it. They've seen that I've prioritized more loving things in my life, and they want to do the same.
1: So a lot of people listening may feel like, well, she just sounds like a really disciplined person. are <laughs> like, I'm not really like a planner type. What, what encouragement would you say to anybody who feels like, that
3: sounds great, but uh, calendars and me are not really friends? Okay, yes, for sure. I'm glad you brought that up because you do not even have to own a calendar to be able to do this. I think it is a mindset and an intentionality of where you're just deciding to spend your time. Mm -hmm. And then sticking with it, sometimes you're going to feel like doing what you've decided to do and sometimes you're not, but you have the ability to work that into your life and that's very freeing. So let's say you decide, I want to cook dinner three times a week for my family. You might come home on Tuesday and be like, I don't have any energy to cook for my family. Gosh, I'm already letting myself down. I thought I valued this and right now I just don't feel like it. That's okay too. (laughs) Maybe pick another time. Like the point is you wanted to spend an hour serving your family in some way. Mm. So find an hour on another day that maybe you have a little more energy to do that for your family. It's just about loving others. So like if my having something planned gets in the way of being patient with my child, that's probably not the right choice. Like Mm. I'm always going to choose the loving option Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So for anybody who just
1: feels like, man, this all sounds great, but I just don't know if there's enough time. Like my to-do list feels full. I have so many people that I want to love. And then also my dirty dishes are piling up to where there's like creatures (laughs) growing in my sink. Like what would you tell them?
3: Just start with one small change. Mm -hmm. Like this week, I'm going to prioritize this one thing. Mm -hmm. And then just do that one thing. Maybe put it on your calendar. Maybe... You don't need a calendar. Maybe just say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to do this one thing that I really, really value. Just start there. So what would the people closest to you say is
1: different about you as a result of you making these choices?
3: They would probably say I'm a little more easy to get along with. I just enjoy being with people maybe Mm -hmm. more, and I'm a little more in the moment than I was before. I'm not as worried about the task so much as the end result because, you know, life is short, And what legacy do you really want to leave Mm. with people? I want them to remember me as someone who cared about them, not someone who was always focused on the details. Mm. I think at the end of my life, I just want to look more like Jesus. And I think Jesus made time for people. Mm. He is never too busy, even in the Bible. You know, like when Jesus made time for people, even though people were pushing him on every side, he would stop and talk to someone or he would stop and heal someone. And I want to look more like Christ. So I think even just making time and being intentional with where um, I spend my time, where I don't spend my time to, and what I value in the end looks more like Christ because of just the approach to valuing time. Like you value Mm -hmm. money, like as a resource, I think God did that best. So just learning from His example.
1: What Michelle said reminded me that Jesus has such a different view of success than we do. Our version of success often looks like working ourselves into the ground to get ahead. But following Jesus' example looks like setting boundaries with our time while also making ourselves available to respond to God's promptings to love others. Jesus modeled this for us again in Matthew 14. Jesus had just learned that John the Baptist was beheaded. And after hearing the news, verse 13 tells us that he withdrew to a solitary place. Now, we don't see any additional context for this in the text, but just imagine that for a second. You've just learned that a close friend has died and you probably wanna be alone. Maybe Jesus wanted to pray. Maybe he just wanted a moment to grieve but crowds follow him. And it says that he begins teaching them. And not only that, but we also see in the text that he had compassion on them and he starts healing their sick. Out of his raw grief, he's healing others. And not only does he teach and heal them, but he also ends up feeding 5,000 of them miraculously through a little boy's lunch. Jesus set a boundary, he withdrew by himself, but people intruded on that boundary, and instead of being angry or annoyed, he had compassion on them. He was receptive to their intellectual, spiritual, and physical needs. He was available. So if we set boundaries to help us love others, we also have to reevaluate when our boundaries are keeping us from loving others. The overall idea behind all of this is love. When we don't have healthy boundaries, we can easily start loving people out of compulsion instead of compassion, like. Dr. Henry Cloud talks about in his book called Boundaries. But when we have healthy boundaries, we can love others from a place of genuine compassion, leading to less resentment and a lot more replenishment for ourselves and others. So now there's all this tension about what do we do with our finances? Because like we talked about earlier, there's all this tension we feel about money because we're not sure what our relationship to it is supposed to look like. We know we're supposed to avoid the love of money, like it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. But sometimes that makes us think that having it is wrong, because if you have more of it, wouldn't you probably love it more? But we also see incredibly wealthy people funding and fueling Jesus's ministry, like the women who funded his ministry, Joseph of Arimathea, who donates his tomb, and Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector who rights wrongs by giving away four times what he stole from others. So we talked to Rodney Ross about this, who is honestly one of the most generous and joyful people we know. He's our church's team leader of generosity, and we think you're really going to love what he had to say about all this tension.
4: You know, God really wants our heart. He doesn't necessarily need our money. He he wants our heart. When Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? And the first Mm -hmm. one is to love God with all our hearts, minds, Mm -hmm. soul, and strength. And Mm -hmm. the second one is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm -hmm. When I think about that, I think about generosity and being generous toward my neighbor, but it's as I am to myself. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. part of why we are given resources is to provide for our basic needs, to Mm -hmm. provide for our family, to take care of the responsibilities that God has uh, laid in front of us, and as we do that, that keeps us healthy. It helps us do life in community. And then out of the excess, as we're good stewards and and start to have excess, Mm. that's when we can be irrationally generous towards others and care about others just as much as we're caring for ourselves. Mm. You know, if you think about it, it just makes sense. If we're great Mm. stewards of the resources God entrusts us with, He's going to entrust us with more. Mm. A lot of people, I think, get caught up on, is it this or this? And it's Mm. really an and. We want to be good stewards and And we want to be generous. And so for me, I really think about that in terms of of the what, which is being a great steward, and the why— is so that we can be generous. And as we have more resources, we're able to be more generous. When you think about it as a hard issue, really just a decision at a time, we can think, man, Mm. am I making this decision just for me or am I making this decision for someone else? Mm. And really, as we start thinking about others as much as we think about ourselves, that is stepping into generosity. And so it can be really small things. I know uh, for me in my journey, I didn't start out just being crazy, (laughs) irrational. <laughs> generous. It was baby steps. It was doing small things for people, whether it was buying lunch for somebody or just seeing a need and being able to, to step in and fill that, or even just being generous with my time. You know, I think there's always a next step we can take. You know, at Life Church, we just believe that God commands us to return the first 10% of what he blesses us with back to him. That's an act of obedience uh, and and worship. And we want to do that. We want to honor God in that way. And be obedient and return that first 10%. And then we often talk about irrational generosity. You know, Mm -hmm. one of our values is we will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. And once we're returning that tithe, irrational generosity starts after that. That's when we give out of the 90% that God lets us choose how to steward. I I know there were times before I started faithfully tithing that I thought about that 10% and recognized, Mm. man, that is a lot. I don't know if I can do that. And you know, what I've really come to believe is that we're all on a journey. Mm -hmm. None of us have arrived. God's still working Mm -hmm. on me in so many areas of my Mm -hmm. life. A a great question is just what is my next step? Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe, you know, not able to give 10% today, but man, what can we give? Mm -hmm. So often when I'm in discussions with people and just ask questions of, you know, man, One of our values at Life Church is we give up things we love for things we love even more. Mm -hmm. And maybe what's something we could give up so that we could give instead and let Mm -hmm. God multiply that and bless a lot of other people? Maybe it's we give up our streaming service for six months. Mm -hmm. What could that look like? I think finding that next step is really good. And then the other part is Mm -hmm. it's not about the amount of money that we give. And and God tells us he loves a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. And so that'd be the second question question to ask is, one, what is God prompting me to do? What could I take as my next step? And then after that, you've got to follow that up with, what can I cheerfully give? Mm-hmm. Because if we're giving out of guilt, or if mm-hmm. we're giving out of, like, uh, I have to, like, it's it's a law that I have to, mm-hmm. you know, that's really missing the point. We want to give mm-hmm. cheerfully because mm-hmm. God has our heart, because we recognize that's part of His nature, is part of His character, and mm-hmm. we want to be more like Him, and we want to bless others around us. And so, as, as as that takes hold, it becomes less of a burden and it becomes a lot easier to find uh, those steps and find those opportunities.
1: So you get to see and hear a lot of generosity stories as a part of your role at Life Church. And so I wondered if you could share maybe one or two with us.
4: The first one that comes to mind is a is a story from one of our campuses, and it's it's about a lady who was on a fixed income, but man, God had her heart. Mm-hmm. And she just wanted to take a step and be more generous. And so she just was kind of wrestling with God about, hey, what what step could I take? And she was walking in her neighborhood one day and just looked down and saw some change on the ground and decided to pick it up and just felt like God told her, just do your part and I'll provide. And so she just started walking around everywhere she went looking for change. And last I heard, she'd given over $400 just from picking up change wow. and being able to give that. And I really like that story for a lot of reasons. One, it's because it was the heart issue, mm-hmm. it was just knowing, hey, I, I don't have lots of extra resources, but I want to be generous. And she looked for simple ways to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, God really empowered her and provided. And so that's really true for all of us. God is our mm-hmm. provider. And so when we have a heart for generosity, He's going to provide both the opportunity and the means mm-hmm. to meet those opportunities. We also got some business owners in our our church who actually give out of the proceeds of their business oh. and just have decided that, hey, we're in this both to provide a great service, to take care of our employees, but we also want to be generous with the resources that God provides through our business. Mm-hmm. It really is being just a great steward of, of resources that God entrusted them with. When people are generous, I I really see God in them. I'm just reminded of the very character of God, which is He is generous. That's part of His nature. It's part of who God is. He Mm. created the heavens and the earth. He Mm. breathed life into us. Mm. He created us. He's given us so many good gifts. He gave Mm. uh, His son Jesus to die for our sins, and that's incredibly generous. And so, that really has been most impactful for me is just getting a deeper understanding of of the true character and nature of God Mm. as generous. And we just Get to choose. What we find so often is when we bring resources to ourselves, we consume those and they're gone. Mm. And we, we just are left unsatisfied. And we just need more and we want more. The cycle of trying to gather and then consume, gather and then consume, and it's never fulfilling. A better way to live is to just be good stewards of what God entrusts us with and then and then give generously. And then God takes that, multiplies it, does infinitely more than we could ever think, ask or imagine, and somehow God just does what only he can do in our hearts. And we find contentment in that.
1: Rodney reminded me that managing our resources is less about what we have and more about the condition of our hearts, which rings true when we look back at Scripture, right? Because again, both the wealthy and the poor have a place in the kingdom of God. There are people who are being irrationally generous with a lot, but we also see a parable in Luke 21 of a poor widow who gives all she has, and even though it's next to nothing, Jesus said she's given more than any of the wealthy Pharisees before her. So when we're obedient to whatever season God has called us to, whether our offerings look more like the poor widows or the wealthy women who funded Jesus's ministry, we get to experience the joy of generosity. We get to build our faith, and we also get to build the faith of others.
2: All right, so I'm picking up on several themes for sure throughout this episode.
1: Okay, let's hear them.
2: So, some people might still feel a little bit of tension when it comes to all the scripture that we talked about, even Mm -hmm. though I think it goes back to trust and our heart's motivation. Mm -hmm. It can still seem confusing, though. So, like, how do I know when it's time to be irrationally generous versus investing in the future? Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to an even broader idea, that scripture is not designed to be a quick list of tips and tricks.
1: Mm, That's good. Tell me more about that.
2: Okay. Okay. So... Think about it as like nutrition.
1: That is not at all where I thought we were going with this, but okay.
2: Trust me, I'm going somewhere. So there's a lot of good nutrition advice out there, right? Like we've seen it, you know, on social media. But if you just take one piece of advice and then you ignore everything else. So like, let's just say I go to the doctor. I even go to a good source for advice, like the Mm -hmm. Bible. And I find out that I need to exercise more. Mm -hmm. I could do that and it would be really healthy. But if I start exercising and I also start eating like a Big Mac for every meal, <laughs> then it's probably not going to be that healthy.
1: I mean, I wish it worked that way. But. I, mean,
2: I, may, I, might, I might have experience with this. <laughs> so what I'm getting at is that scripture is designed to complement itself. My doctor would tell me to not only exercise, but also to eat healthy foods. Hmm. So these yep. things, they, they go together. And also to get enough sleep and probably like a whole other list of things that I would need to do to be healthy and whole. And God, Mm -hmm. likewise, has given us scripture to help us live healthy, full, and whole lives, just like Jesus modeled it for us. So like Jesus worked hard and Jesus rested. Mm -hmm. Jesus was generous and Jesus was wise. We're instructed to be generous and wise. We're reminded to invite interruptions but also be focused on the task at hand. We're called to set boundaries and also cross lines for people who others might overlook. It's like the way of Jesus is countercultural, but it's not contradictory to itself. Hmm. Scripture isn't going to tell us to do one thing and then turn around and tell us to do something that would counteract that thing. Instead, it's like advice from a doctor. It's connected to itself. It helps us have a holistic understanding of how God calls us to live. So you can't just pluck one verse out of context, build your entire theology and life mm. around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead, we have to really dive into the context of what's happening in the story to get a fuller picture of of how it applies to our life.
1: Hmm. Okay, so I like that analogy and I think that it's really helpful. I also think it's really important that when we go to scripture, we're going there with a the heart to learn and to get to know God, not just mm-hmm. to like prove a point that I really want it to make.
2: Yes, say that again louder. Right?
1: Well, I mean, I can easily <laughs> approach scripture with my own agenda, right? Like yeah. I can hope to find verses that affirm my worldview or tell me what I want to hear. I've done it. But that's a wrong way to approach it. I mean, I've done it too. But instead, I want to approach scripture with a genuine desire to get to know God. And Mm. when I do that, then I can trust that God is a good shepherd who's going to lead me in the way I should go.
2: Right. So if we get back to our big question about how do we manage these seemingly competing ideas of time and money, I think we realize that money and time are like ways that we spend our lives. Mm. And if our goal is to become more like Jesus, like you said, to get to know God better, which I think is a pretty good goal, Hmm. then the way that we spend our time and money will vary. It's going to be different for different people, but it needs to help us grow in our love for God and others. So if the way that I spend my time and money isn't good news for people, then that's probably not about Jesus, right? Because Jesus, he came for the poor and the sick and the hungry and the prisoners and the overlooked Mm -hmm. and the me, If I'm not living that way, then I probably have some more work to do to become more like Jesus. Mm, That's good. And I do.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. We're on a journey. Everyone's next step this week is going to look a little bit different, and that's okay. So as we go throughout this week, think about any principles in Scripture that maybe confuse you a little. How could you sit in that tension and figure out what God might be showing you?
2: And don't just try to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. You can talk about this big question with your friends and your family and your life group. Like, here's an actual question you can talk about. How could I bring more honor to God and others by the way I use my time and my money?
1: Mm -hmm. It's a challenging but very important question to ask. And then don't just talk about it. Find one way to make a change. Just ask God to reveal any ways that your budget or your calendar could better reflect Him. And then just pick one thing. You may think of like a million things. Just pick one, one way that you can bring more love to others this week with how you manage your resources and then do it. We're talking all about how to manage our time and money well this season. And one great way to spend your time is to talk about this episode with someone you care about. Wondering how to get started? We've got some questions and resources to help you out on the conversation guide, which is always linked in the show notes wherever you're listening. Also, one way that you could be generous with your time is to leave a rating and review for this episode. It really does help more people find these stories and
4: conversations. Thanks and have a great week.